welcome to WNHHFM's Dateline New Haven. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Well, the election, it happened, folks. We were all worried that the big election was coming. Democracy was at stake. That right-wing fundamentalist racists who wanted to tear down the system were going to take over and destroy our system. Oh, wait, that didn't happen in the United States. We thought that was going to happen. But it did happen in Israel. They had the same kind of election, and the result was the opposite. And we're going to talk about that today and what that means for us in the U.S. as well as the people at the center of it, Israel. With WNHH, is always lucky to have our resident Israel expert here. She lives in our town. Sippy Smilovitz is the New Haven-based American correspondent for Israel's largest circulation newspaper, Yedidot Ahranot. Welcome back, Sippy. It's so nice to see you on air. Hey, Paul. Thank you for having me. So now what the heck happened? We were talking before how you and I had this doomsday scenario for America. That election did not happen. The, the election denier, Christian fundamentalist, right-wing Trumpies went down in defeat. But then in Israel, they won. How did that happen? That's a good, big question. Um yeah, in Israel, it was the worst case scenario actually materialized. Um, I think in the end, it was inevitable. It's the end of a very, very long process that um, personally, I, I put my finger at the start, um, November 1995, uh, the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin. Um, the prime minister the prime who minister. made peace with Palestinians or yeah. signed a peace deal. Yeah. yeah. And from that moment, that was the trajectory. You had spells of maybe we are going back to the white way, to what, to the vision of Israel, to the idealism, to what the original Zionism was, what, uh, what the Declaration of Independence says. But what did it say? Really, it talks about um, equality and pluralism and democracy and everybody is equal, all the citizens of Israel, which means Arabs too. Um, it didn't have to deal with the Palestinians because it was before 1967, so it was before uh, really occupation. the occupation. So, but... That was a really beautiful vision for a state that rose from the ashes of the Holocaust. And it was a socialist state, or socialist-oriented. Oh, it was, it was super socialist, yeah. yeah. The Labor Party was the main party. Yeah, and, and everything was, the economy was pure socialism. Kibbutzim, the kibbutz. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so you're the, saying this is the end of an inevitable process that started with the assassination of Yitzhak yeah, Rabin, well, where the country turned in the other direction, yeah, became Trumpist. Yeah, probably it started in 1967. When you think about it, you know, Professor Ishayao Lebovich was very clear back then that this is going to end badly for if you Israel. Occupy. You cannot control and rule other people. Um, then came 1995, and that was kind of the beginning of the end of what we knew as uh, a, a truly great democracy. Mm. And, and it was, it still is, it still is. It, it is a democracy. We had 
fair and and clean elections everybody could run um but Palestinians didn't participate that much yeah that, that's the big elephant that everybody ignored including what you may call the Israeli left mm-hmm It's something that nobody deals with for years now, and it's not just going to go away. But if you leave it aside, then it's still, it's still a democracy. And Israel, let me remind you, Israel is one of the very few uh, Western democracies who actually sent its leaders to jail for crimes. Mm-hmm. A president went, went to jail for rape. A prime minister went to jail for corruption that didn't ha- that doesn't happen in any in, in other it, it doesn't happen in the United States we just seen a, a previous president doing crime after crime after crime and he's got no problem running again he said if I shot someone on Fifth Avenue yes and he was right it. he was so, right. so so Tippi unpacked a lot of I want to unpack a lot of the points yes in the course of this interview because you really covered a lot of ground mm-hmm. it started with saying how did you Israel just have an election where Benjamin Netanyahu, who is under criminal investigation for corruption, got back in power with the most right-wing government in the history of the country, yeah. with right-wing settlers, with people who, are, who in the past were not even allowed to participate in government because of their um, calls for violence against the Arabs. There's especially Itamar Ben-Gvir, who is now, he, he's, a, he's a new kingmaker from the far-right Jewish Power Party, Who has called he was had Baruch Goldstein's poster uh, picture in his house and that's the man who massacred Palestinians while they were worshiping he threatened it's Scott Rabin on television just weeks before he was killed he um, is a follower of Mary Kahani who's the um, you know racist right-wing leader late now he's not alive anymore but who was considered outside the vein so these kind of people are in power now whereas the labor Party which you talked about that other year of, of uh, Israeli politics is now so out of power it got how many seats did Four? four out of 120 <laughs> four out of 120 seats and then zero seats went to merits which was the main because there are many parties in Israel the main left-wing party and the and basically almost all the votes went to a collection of conservative to right-wing yeah. to far right-wing extremist parties but you said this is kind of a trajectory from 1995 that began I remember when Yiscock Rabin was assassinated and there was an outpouring in Israel and in America and around the world of grief about that and But I think I didn't understand it, Zibi. When I heard that, the way I interpreted it at the time, and I wonder if there's the way you interpreted it in Israel, because I know you had all the album that came out with all the songs people wrote, and all of you showed up in public with the candlelight, that any time you try to move a society forward, whether it was Martin Luther King in America, whether it was gay marriage here, every time you move toward the... We have this belief that the arc of history bends toward justice. It does. I think... And that... And that yeah. Every time you move, but that's over time. that yeah. every time you move forward, you have to take a few steps back because of reaction. Yeah. So when Rabin did some historical Sir Arafat, they, they uh, signed a peace agreement, and that as a result of that, the far right wing murdered him. And the understanding I had then, naively, was that because the arc of history moves toward, bends toward justice, That that was a step back as we continue to take steps forward that never would the people who you deal or me or who shot him and now this guy who's like had threatened him on TV is now in power that that would never happen that the government would not over time turn in the direction of the people who murdered you Scott Rabin so what does that say about history you say it was inevitable so you saying it was inevitable 
that the arc of history bent away from justice in Israel? Well, uh, first of all, it's it's a long term. Uh, Martin Luther King was right. In the long term, that's what happens. We did uh, get Reagan after him, and we did get Trump. Right. True, but you also did get uh, a black president, and you know, gay rights. Not when you look, when you take a step back, the world today, and you compare it to what it was even fifty years ago, there is no comparison. Uh, Israel is just different. It's it's unique in so many ways that it's incredibly small. Um, our government system is completely different. You know, somebody like Netanyahu, there's no, there's no term limit. So somebody like Netanyahu, there's, there are a lot of people in Israel, young people, who don't know a country in which Netanyahu is not the prime minister. They just don't know a world like this. So... Was it as much about Netanyahu or was it about yeah, it's, an American society, uh, Israeli society that's decided that they no longer believe in a two-state solution of peace with the Palestinians? Yeah, it's both. It's both. It's both. Uh, I think that one problem is that uh, what used to be the Israeli left um, took all the one conclusion after Rabin assassination mm. and, and decided that the country wants um, a light right wing. And you don't really have a left in Israel, left that, that speaks out about the Palestinian problem. You have left that speaks about, you know, the economy, semi-socialism. But that's it. It's like the Palestinian, Palestinian problem does not, does not exist anymore. Well, that's so interesting. So if I hear you correctly, Sippy, you say that the left took the lesson from the Bede administration yeah. to cater to the movement that led to the assassination by ignoring the Palestine issue rather than trying to make the case and convincing their fellow country members that peace and coexistence is preferable to violent extreme nationalism. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, you know, you cannot blame people for reacting to terror the way a lot of Israelis well, Look what happened to us in 9-11. We had our one minute of it, a very intense minute of 9-11, yeah. and our country briefly almost everybody i knew became a right winger about exactly. they never believed and haven't believed since about Exa the rights of people i mean indians israelis i know i know an israeli who would always be stopped in harass because he looked like an arab to people you know i mean like everybody who didn't just have white skin they, it was like open season in america just, exactly yeah exactly so the people in israel they live under this reality for many years and that's it all it really all goes back to 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 Rabin. And that's what makes I think Igal Amir one of the most successful assassins in history. Because Rabin, if he was still alive, if that if it if they didn't kill him, not only you would and uh, well, it's just my opinion, I can't know for sure, but I think he would just deal with the whole Middle East issue. But that didn't happen and Netanyahu other than losing the next election, um, or actually not the next election, the next next election, he didn't pay any price for his part in, in what led to Rabin assassination. And then when he came back to power, it just became um, a cult-like, the way people go after him. And... Um, 
Could the left have prevailed? If the left wanted to deal with the Palestinian issue, you, you had, and we, could they have convinced people who were worried about terrorism? Could they have prevailed over the voices of reaction? Yes, but A, you have to have a really good messenger. You have to have somebody who can explain in, in ways that people can react, can understand that this is better for everybody. And the left never had somebody like that. Never. Not even Rabin. They never had somebody who can just, you know. What were you a, thinking a, at the they time? They never had a, a, a Reagan who is right wing or Obama. Somebody who can speak and you can... And appeal to someone's better nature. Exactly. You, we're, just, we're, well, you were in Israel in 95 when Rabin was yeah. killed, right? What do you when you think back on that moment? Did you understand what was happening to the country, or did you, like me, back then here think that the arc of history was bending toward justice? I I I don't really remember what I thought. I was just I I was just in deep mourning. It was it, now when I think about it, it's like maybe I knew that this would that this the beginning of a very very dark road. But back then it was just mourning. I just I just. I, I was. I, I said Shiva. It was just. You terrible. said Shiva. For yeah, it was just terrible. It was absolutely awful, awful. Um, but I, I didn't know what it means, you know. And you see, I, I don't know if you remember the images of of all these young kids. Mm -hmm. They sit in the car, carabin, and and they light candles and they mm -hmm. sing and. All these, a clear memory of that. all these young kids today, they vote for the white. That's woman. what I wanted to ask you. So they vote we, for the far right. At, we looked at the, they looked at the numbers in the Times, and roughly two thirds, yeah, of Israeli Jews aged eighteen to thirty-four identify as right wing, yeah. And and when you look at the election we just had in America, it was the young voters who voted in the biggest numbers against right wing, yeah. racist, reactionary politics. Yeah, but so what's different? Oh, everything is different. In Israel, the 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 right left division for the most part, is based over national security and the Palestinian. It's not about anything else. But why do younger people, isn't it usually younger people who believe, like I remember when Bernie Sanders ran for president. I was an old fart. I said to people, yeah, I love Bernie, but you know, I've grown up. You can't say you're socialist and, and do well in primaries. And, yeah. and the younger people said to me, yes, you can. I kind of like what he's saying. But it seems like in Israel, the people who say when they look at national security, who say, you can do the hard work of peace and there's no alternative and you can believe in that. Yeah. Seems like these are the older folks and the younger people are feeling like you have to give in to fear. Why is that? Because because all they get is fear. That's the failure of the left. Mm. When you are young, and, and again, most of these young kids, they don't know Israel without Netanyahu as prime minister. But when you are young and, and you look for somebody to lead you, somebody who will be very clear and talk to you, and all you hear is this Bengvir, mm -hmm. and you say, Bengvir tells you, I will fix the problem. I'll deal with the Arab problem. I'll make you secure. It's easy to go after that. I mean, we know, I mean, history is filled with these stories. It's very, very easy. And there is nobody on the other side. Absolutely nobody who goes and said, look, let's fix the problem with the Palestinians because the left, the, the Zionist left, right? 
מרץ, העבודה. They want, they didn't want anything to do even with Arab parties in Israel. You cannot build a left coalition in Israel when you, exclu- when you exclude more than two million people who are not just citizens, they are your coalition. In a country that is mostly white, You can't build a left coalition without the Arab party, without the Arab citizens. Mm-hmm. So you had somebody like Mirav Mikhaeli, who led the labor, and even the guys from Meritz. They, they didn't want to do anything with the Arab parties. And that's when I talked about being light right wing, that's what I talk about. And we're talking, what we're talking about is what happened in Israel, which is what we thought was going to happen in America, but didn't last week. But Sippy Smilovitz really knows about this because she is from Israel and she's the American correspondent living in New Haven for Israel's largest circulation newspaper, Idiot Akhranot. So there's some, you talked about how the left shunned Arab parties, shunned coalition politics. But such an interesting experiment took place in the year or two before this election. Yeah. I considered it one of the most inspiring, you know, we went from the, one of the most inspiring forward-looking experiments in democracy in the world to one of the most distressing anti-democracy yeah. elections. And what I mean by that for our listeners is that, so the left punted, the left's been falling apart. Labor Party used to run Israel. Now they're barely getting enough seats to, to, to even be in parliament. But there was a non-Netanyahu, non-right-wing government, a coalition government from the last election that included a right-wing prime minister who agreed to be in a coalition with an Arab party, with a centrist rather than left, y- y- uh, Lapid, and they agreed that they were going to agree about certain issues and move forward and not mind people's fears, not go to their, the base, and just set aside for now the unresolved issues. And I looked at that and said, why can't other people in the world do that now and we're so polarized? It was the opposite of polarization. It was the opposite of hate politics. Did it succeed, and why didn't Israel buy it for this election? It was, it was a pretty good government. They worked. Like, I was thinking, wow, they had a Prime Minister Bennett who I completely disagree yeah. with and was willing to lead because he saw a moment in history with people he disagreed with to include Arab lawmakers in his government. Yeah, but, A, like every other government, they ignore the Palestinian problem, and this is not going away. Mm. <laughs> it's just not going away, and it's going to keep eating the... Israeli democracy. That's one. The other thing is that um, they did a lot of good things, but then when came campaign time, it was just the, t- the worst politics. Uh, they did but not... Dull, they, and they, I've enjoyed the way because it didn't happen in the past with Netanyahu when you have an agreement in a coalition that you're going to turn over power partway one prime minister to another. Not you, just when he had that, he just called new elections, right, with labor. Yeah. But this time, Bennett even turned over yeah. power to Lapid, the centrist partner. It was all, it, But you're saying they were pretty lousy campaigners. They were terrible campaigners. <laughs> and, and they did not, they did not campaign on all, on all their pretty significant achievements, the good things yeah. that they did. They did not campaign on it. Another problem was that pretty much everything the left did um, during the campaign was about Netanyahu. And running as what we call in Hebrew, uh, Raklo Bibi, anyone but Bibi, it's not enough. It's like in this country, people say, is it enough to run against Trump? Yeah, 
Yeah. Because BB is Trump, but he's a lot smarter, and he does the foreign policy a lot smarter. Hey, he's, mu- he's much smarter. Um, between, between Netanyahu and Trump, Netanyahu is the one who can speak English, actually. So <laughs> he, he's much smarter. He's, in, he's very shrewd. He's, most, he's even more cynic than Trump. So that's one thing. But again, Israel, it's, it's an incredibly small country. And if you put Israel in the United States, it's going to be just a very, very red state. Like super red state. And it used to be the bluest. But you can't, but, but even in the red, red state, you can, Democrats can win from time to time. Kansas governor. Exactly. Kansas government. Um, I think there's another one. Who's the government in, in North Carolina? Right. Right. So, and, and even... And this election, all the swing states, Democrats is governor. So mm-hmm. you can win in these places. Well, the advice I'm hearing from you, if I, unless I get it wrong, and tell me if I get it wrong, is that you got to confront the tough issue and try to inspire rather than run yes. from it. So what if they listened to Sippy? What if they said, we need to have peace with Palestinians. We can't rule over them and occupy them. We have to work our way out you, of this. Ha- would people respond or you would ha- they you have kill to fi- them? You have to find a way to, to talk about it. You have to find a way to uh, make people understand that our kids and their kids are the same and they deserve the same life. And if Mm -hmm. we can live together, then it's going to be good for everybody because our kids may not be, may not have to go to war every two years Mm -hmm. and we won't have to bury our kids. And uh, there are ways to get to people and and make them see the other side as human. But today, if you talk to Israelis, they don't even see Palestinians as as humans. And and the work that needs to be done now is so deep, it's absolutely daunting. And Mm. the problem is that I don't see anyone, any new leader who can come up and, and do something like that. So what's going to happen now? We're talking with oh, Shibis no the national American <laughs> correspondent for Israel's largest circulation newspaper, Yedio Acharonot. We're d- talking on Dateline New Haven and WNHH, New Haven's home for community, um, for community radio. Let me just ask you on the ground. Mm-hmm. So you don't see this in any way. What's going to be the fallout for this in relations with Palestinians and po- possibilities for peace and two-state solution? Is the two-state solution over that we're just going to have more war? Or are there going to be new war? What do you think? I think that what we see now is what probably we're going to see for a long time. Unless something unexpected happens and, and someone will rise and and manage to... You, we got to remember that you need to have somebody on the other side too. And, and they don't have anyone like that too. So... It's really a question of question of leaders. I think that if you poll Israelis even today, they will tell you that they would rather live in peace with the Palestinians. I think you most Israel will tell you that they would rather live in peace with the Palestinians. The problem is that the it's not just extreme right wing that is taking over. It's a religious right wing that mm. take, that takes over. And for them, it's all about land and rocks and the statues and Bible said. And this is so much more difficult and complicated now than it's been 25 years ago or even 15. 
What about um now? But if they're conflagrations all the time, one thing that Yahoo and Hamas are experienced that. And tell me if I'm wrong about this. I always felt like we hear official statements, and that's one reality. And then there's the understanding on the ground that every time there's violence because an incident sparks it. They don't even have to speak to each other, Netanyahu and Hamas. They understand that if you take steps one, two, and three, because you have to respond politically, that's it can end there. Yeah. And that if you take step four and then do one more attack, then it's going to grow. And oh. that if they choose, they don't want to have it continue to grow both sides for their self-interest in the short term. Of course. They understand yeah. where those lines are. Yeah, yeah. Netanyahu and Hamas are each other best friends. Mm-hmm. It's good for them the way things are now. And they know how to maintain them in a way that it will not escalate to a complete war. But still keep them like that, keep things like like they are now. It's good for them politically. It keeps them in power. Uh, in, in, in the case of Netanyahu, it's right now being in power. It's, it's, it's existential need. And that's because he's under, he could yeah. go to prison like Trump. Yeah. Because yeah, of corruption. Yeah. Trump will not so go what's gonna, to prison. So what's going to happen now with Netanyahu's investigations? Will they be able to? Uh, it, it will probably die <laughs> one way or another. They will just change some, some laws. And, and what about um, settlement expansion? Are we going to see more settlements? Um, it d- depends on, on, the, on, depends on the makeup of the coalition. I think he is trying to make a coalition that won't be a complete right-wing lunacy. <laughs> um, so I, I think he's pressuring Benny Gantz uh-huh. to join him, and that's where maybe he could create a coalition without Bengvir's party. Because if Bengvir and and the head of the party, Bezalel Smotich, are in the government, then Netanyahu going to have problem with the at least with the current White House. Because right. we, we are talking... And that you mentioned the guy who is in line to maybe defense minister if he's needed, and he's called for segregating maternity wards yeah. between Jews and Arabs. He wants a fundamental state like Josh Hawley in this country is called exactly. for theocracy. He yeah. wants a theocracy based yeah. on Torah. And that's gonna... That's, and he calls himself a homophobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's everything that you see now What here? about yeah. the Supreme Court? Now, that some of the people elected on the right want to trim the powers of the Supreme Court. Yeah. What, is that going to happen? Uh, I think so, Yeah. It's probably going to happen. I think they're going to change the way they, um, the way they nominate Supreme Court justices. And then one thing um, I look at, looking at that coalition, you mentioned how it's a religious right wing. Mm-hmm. In this country, since Reagan, there was a marriage between fundamentalist Christian right wingers and wealthy corporate interests that convinced the other side they have a common agenda yeah. when they inherently did not. Never. Because Christianity always said, you know, you, it's easier to, for camera go through, I have a needle than for a rich man to have a satisfied mind when in fact they kind of convinced the right wing that an agenda that's incredible tax cuts for the rich goes along with, you know, what they considered with Jesus. true religious and, with, and their with, interpretation with soci- of Jesus. With socialist is, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So is there a similar, but that at times comes apart and I think it came apart with Trump, right? So what is that? What's going to happen? Oh, that I co- don't know. Yes. And I mean, yes I mean, or no, he still delivered those tax breaks Ju- no, but, not just tax breaks. He also delivered the big Roe versus Wade reversal. That's true. The judges, yeah, he did so, give. Yeah, them that. he yeah. did give them that. Give them back. He still have a full support of the um, Christian evangelist. 
But he no longer like Stephen Schwartzman, the hedge fund people. They in the last week, yeah, because come yeah, maybe because, they'll come back. Yeah, yeah, because he probably took it a little bit too far for they them. They feel they can't win with their party. It's more strategic. Yeah, know? something like that. But the, is there an inherent contradiction in the Israeli coalition? No, no. settlers, religious Zionists, which offer overlapping, but but conservatives, no, it's no. not that same kind of tension. It's it's not then that that same, and also in in the United States, this this uh, alliance between. Uh, very very rich um conservative business people and republican voters um it has stuff that does not exist in israel i mean you right, you, you have gay, you have racism and all this stuff i mean it's yeah. not it's very different the, the, the whole the thing i guess fundamentalism and those, corporate those, those, capitalism those, yeah those exactly in israel it's not about it's really not about the economy in any way. It doesn't matter what kind of... Because, first of all, Israelis does not know reality where they had. They don't have healthcare or anything like that. And, right, and that's true. They, 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 they were <laughs> all... that little bit of We were all legacy. born... Yeah, exactly. We were all born to uh, uh, universal healthcare, um, maternity leave, everything. All these things, we were born to them. So what, what, what does that make you feel like as an Israeli? Someone who grew up in Israel, you know, you moved here 11 years ago, but you, you're still an Israeli. How mm-hmm. do you, when you see this election, you say it was inevitable. You got to that point that's so different from when you were sitting Shiva for Yitzhak Rabin in 1995. How are you feeling? How do you react to this whole thing, personally? I'm, I'm very sad. I'm, I'm truly very sad. And, and worse, I don't see a lot of hope. I see those kids over That's there. That's a horrible way to feel. Yes, I see those kids over way over there, and I, I don't see how we change this trajectory in any way in our lifetime, not anymore, and and it's incredibly sad to me. Would you Would you go back to live in Israel? Oh, I don't know. I I, I think I told you I wasn't supposed to be here more than one year. I'm here. It's now eleven years. Maybe it's still home still you know it's still my place that's how i always feel about america i don't want to move anywhere else i mean like this is my home yeah it is i always wanted we did get our passports updated with trump wondering because i always felt like there's still this chance that fascism could come to america yeah. i i think it's i think that the chance still exists and let me tell you that in the last few years uh i thought about wait do i want to stay here maybe i'll go back home and but if i'll go back home Look what waits, what waits for me over there. Right. We're talking to Simi Shmilovitz, who's the U.S. correspondent for Israel's largest circulation newspaper, Yedirot Acharonot, on Dateline New Haven and WNHH-FM. So there's a split in American Judaism. The vast mm-hmm. majority of American Jews are liberal. They vote for Democrats. They want peace with the Palestinians. And then the people who vote the most on the issue and are most active is the right wing, and especially the Orthodox voters who are Trumpists, yeah. like, like Israel. And um, so what we deal with that, you know, there's a real split about how should American Jews view Israel? Because a lot of us, you know, there's some movements that feel you shouldn't be Zionist at all. Then there are others like J Street, where I kind of my sympathies lie, would say all countries have creation stories that are myths and blood on their hands and yes. like, and that Israel isn't worse than any of its neighbors. And That's that, true. that doesn't make things okay. It just means that you want to have a constructive, peace, positive, you know. Yeah. And that you're not for Israeli government, and then the right says you 
should be supporting this right-wing change. So Thomas Friedman, who's a very pro-Zionist but liberal in the New York Times, slightly liberal, says the Israel we know is gone. The dream is over. That's how American Jews have to recalibrate. Then Brett Stevens in the New York Times says Israel has serious problems, but pending fascism isn't one of them. And here's his argument. So 11% of Israel voted for far right-wing. As you point out, the majority was okay with right-wing, but this kind of far right-wing nativist, the guy who has Brooke Goldstein, this you know, mass murderer of Palestinians up on his wall, that was 11%. If you look at France, 41% voted for Marine Le Pen, yeah. voted for a fascist. Israel, I mean, Italy just elected a neo-fascist. She's kind of odd. She's kind of like a, you know, yeah. Lord of the Rings fascist, but she's still fascist. And in, our, in America, we have MAGA. I mean, 30% supports our version of Hitler. So he's saying, of course, it's not good that that crazy right wing did well in this election, but he's saying that shouldn't change how we view Israel, that all countries have fascist or far right wing elements, and that Israel's a democracy that in fact has a smaller number of people getting that vote than other democracies. Doesn't mean it's good that people feel that way, but that democracies are set up to have coalitions and you lose some elections, you win. Whereas Thomas Friedman said, over. He's like you. He says, so well, which yeah, one I, is right? And how should American Jews see support for Israel moving yeah, forward? I, I, I wouldn't go as far as Thomas Friedman. I, I wouldn't say over. It's not, you can't say that. Um, nothing, Not the world is not, nothing is the end of the world, but the end of the world. So I, I don't <laughs> think that this is, no. Um, I, I, I incline to agree with Stevens uh, to a point. The problem is that, yeah, it's only 11%, but the way the system is built in Israel, Netanyahu must have those Bengvirs in the government. And then they're going to have a disproportional power. Uh, and also you said the whole country has become Trumpist. Even yeah, though only oh, 11% yeah, yeah, yeah. went to Ben Gavir. Oh, yeah. That's that's for sure. I mean, most of the country, even people who maybe voted for the Labour Party, they're Trumpers. So that's another problem. Now, so what should American how you Jews do? How do you define fascism? I mean... <laughs> right. Um, what should they do? I, I don't know. I'm not... <laughs> I don't have... Well, what have you observed I, I about think, American Jews on this I, question in Zionism? I think it's just going to stay the same. It's going to stay 70, 75%. Yeah, But younger Jews, right? Younger Orthodox Jews are right wing. But younger Jews in America, I argue that Obama was the first J Street president who wanted peace with the Palestinians, who wanted some rules placed if you're going to give aid to Israel, you can't use it for more settlements. And and I I think there's a breaking away. There are tensions. There is. There is. I, I agree with that. I think it's something that in Israel they don't, uh, consider a real problem. Uh, that's why a lot of Israelis they just hate most of of you uh, most of uh, um, American Jews. There is a real disconnect. Right, there's this feeling like we deal with bombings, we deal with terrorist attacks every day, and you're there in in America telling us what we should do and how we decide our security. I know. Yeah, and also you showed, um, and that's. You know, that's anti-Semite trope. You should be loyal to us first. So they put the American Jews in in almost impossible position. So what's the future of American Zionism? In 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 the United States? Oh, I think I think it's a matter of time until 
the Democratic Party will be, the leaders of the Democratic Party will be the kinds of AOC and, uh, and these guys, and they will not be... <laughs> I think that right now it doesn't matter what Israel will do. It's, I, I don't see Joe Biden uh, doing anything, even if the Israeli government will be 10 Mayor Kana and 10 Igal Amir. Justin Puglino, thanks for listening. Justin has a question for you, Zippy. Yeah. How much support in the, is there in Israel for Palestinian citizenship or for a two-state solution? The leadership doesn't seem to support either, but are there many Israelis who want to see one of these solutions urgently? Thank you for that question. There's a different uh, Palestinian citizenship. That's that's a problem because then you get to a one-state solution, and then you're gonna have very, very quickly you're gonna have an apartheid state where the main the the Jewish the Jewish minority gonna control an our majority because it's demographic. So, th- well, what that, about a two-state solution? That's a, that's a problem. That this does this cannot happen. Uh, a one-state solution is just terrible. What about a two-state solution? As I said, I think that most people, if you ask them, uh, you know, in the quiet of their home, not in the middle of crazy campaign and not when they are on Twitter, they will tell you, yes, okay, we are ready for that. But they will also tell you, we don't have a partner. There is no one to talk to. We were willing to give a lot. We got what we got back, our um, bus bombed in the middle of Tel Aviv. Well, you mentioned apartheid if it goes to one-state solution. Yes. Do you agree with people that's currently an apartheid state for Palestinians in the West Bank? No, because it's not a state. It's, it's just a terrible like, occupation. But the rights, the different rights for Palestinians that then, and for Arab, even Israeli Arabs, and the new government says they want to have yeah, two, but two tiers of, are, of Are you talking about the Israeli Arabs or about the Palestinians? Well, I'm talking about both, yeah. It's different. It's different. Um... The thing with the Palestinians, it's not what what we had in South Africa. They're not, they are, the, that's, it's even worse. They're not part of the, uh, of the state of Israel. They have absolutely no rights. They're under severe occupation. They have very, very few rights. And, and they live in, in a terrible economy and, and, and they just can't go out. It's it just, it's awful. I, I think it's, I think it's the last place on earth when when you have people who are under full control of other people, which and they don't want to be. So it's it's even worse than just being an apartheid state. So that's one. When it comes to um, Israeli Arabs, that's different. Um, it's more. It's 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 very delicate. You know, they have rights. They're citizens. They vote and all that. On the other hand, they don't go to the military. So it's all incredibly delicate. But there is a real progress. There is a real progress. You see more and more young Arabs being part of the Israeli society in mm. the highest places, in good jobs. In the is that endangered now with this new government that includes people who want to get rid of Israelis? Oh. Any kind of Arab citizenship? <laughs> I mean, some of them don't want Arabs to be citizens. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't think, not, not immediately. I don't see even Netanyahu doing something like that because that's gonna be that's gonna be not just the United States and the West. That's gonna be Arab states, Arab states in which he made peace. Saudi I, I Arabia, think a, I the think UAE. He does, know, he does know how to do diplomacy. He knows how to quietly 
deal with other governments. Netanyahu, he's very experienced at mm. that. You know, that when I look at him as far as the only know, when it's good for him. Uh, it's all about his, it's all about self-interest. In, in in this regard, he's like Trump. He's just smarter. That's all. And then uh, finally, what was your take on the U.S. election? What did you write? Did you write any articles? You do yes. That? You oh, do yeah. note about the U.S. elections. Oh yeah, for weeks I won from uh, <laughs> from Democrats, maybe losing New York and California. Did you it, travel? For it was that really reporting? terrible. Uh, the the feeling before the election. Uh, yeah, but only around here. And what did you find in your reporting? What's it like for an Israeli reporter to be talking with an Israeli accent, to be talking <laughs> to Americans about American you, elections? You'll be surprised how many people in America have weird accents. Right. <laughs> or not weird, but just accents. Yeah. Weird. Weird. Maybe not as weird as the Israeli accent, but really weird. Oh, I, I like Israeli accents. So what So what? What happened when you did those stories? Like what kind of reporting did you do in the field? And what did you find? What happened? And and maybe I didn't speak with the right people, I, and that contributed to my pessimism. That a lot of people seems to just don't not care. I think that's um, accurate. A lot of them told me that they have no idea what's the. They they only they vote for the president. That's it. So, How does that compare to what you did with political reporting in Israel? How does that compare to the average Israeli? Oh, in Israel, everybody is a politician. Everybody is a politician. Everybody, and and. We had an election in Israel like every year in the last five years. So it's just everybody is a politician. And here I got the impression that nobody cares. And that's one reason why the, the results were really surprising. The, uh, and finally, you told me, I didn't know this before, that you're an NBA fan. I am. <laughs> and why, what do you like about the NBA in American? Oh, everything. Yes. You know, I, I think that the first thing that made me kind of an Americano feel uh, was was my love for American sports. You know, when you grow up in Israel, in my age, America feels like the moon. And you see movies, and, and it, it just feels like that's where you want to be. It's like, I, I want to go to space. It's just the same. And basketball, NBA was the first. Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, all these folks. And I, I love sports, and NBA is my, my greatest love. Well, what a pleasure it is. I feel so lucky that we get to have Sippy Schmilovitz come into the oh, WNHA studio. Thank you, Paul. You're to very nice. Tell us about, help us make sense of what's happening in Israel as she makes sense of America for Israeli readers as the New Haven based American correspondent for Yidiot Note. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Paul. It's been, it's been fun. Thanks. And I, and I hope that what you still, despite your lack of hope for your homeland, that there will be the kind of voice that you feel needs to emerge to appeal to people's humanity and, yeah. and to bend the arc of history back toward justice. Thank you. Thanks to Harry Dros for getting us on so many platforms for these radio shows that we basically qualify for the multiverse. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Music.